Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, a.k.a. Compass Head. With me is Charles W. Chuck, Chuckers, Chucky Bryant. Yes. Yes. Chuck, 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 Chuck. Chuck, 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 Chuck. Bravo. We have Matt, too, guest producer Matt. Again, handsome guest producer Matt. He's a dreamboat, isn't he? He is. Pay attention, Matt. You might learn a thing or two. So uh, don't be mean to Matt, Chuck. I'm not supporting him. I guess you want to get to it? Yeah, I'm, maybe there's no point in trying to you beat around the bush like, You look here. like you're dragging a little bit today. You okay? No, dude. I'm up like uh, I can never think of the analogies. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? I'm up like a light switch. Up like a um, hair, pl- hair club for men? Customer? Terrible. Let's move on. Sure, okay. Chuck, do you know what one of the simplest organic compounds found on the planet are? School me. I'm about to, Chuck. We're going to call those hydrocarbons for yes. the remainder of this uh, podcast. Right. This is a little science-y, but hang with us. You might learn something. It is, but it's actually really exciting science It is. I know I'm aroused. I am too. I can tell. All right. So, Chuck, um, hydrocarbons are, uh, as I said, very simple. It's just uh, a chain of hydrogen and carbon atoms. Pretty simple. Mixed together. Mm-hmm. But for all their simplicity, they pack a heck of a punch. Indeed. They do. Actually, as a matter of fact, they're really ubiquitous as far as the stuff we use to fuel our global economy goes, mm-hmm. meaning that hydrocarbons are actually active ingredients in petroleum, right? coal, natural gas. Mm-hmm. So basically, these are the things that give us the energy that we use to live our lives. Right. It's a good way to say it. Thanks, Chuck. Is that the end? That's it. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Um, so, Chuck, uh, there's a couple of problems with what we're getting our hydrocarbons from these days. And the first one is? The first one is is that eventually we're going to run out. Right. That's a pretty well-known fact, and it's troublesome. Uh, it's not necessarily a fact. My friend, I don't want you to get unnecessary uh, listener mail. Okay, sure. It's actually a hotly debated topic, peak oil theory, which, frankly, I think we should do one on because it's actually really interesting. Right. You have a good article on that. Thank you. Th- and thank you, I have to say, I just want to go ahead and say it now to Matt Baker. You know Matt over in development? I do. He is actually a fanatic about energy Big and time. the future of energy use and uh, exploring other ways. And yes, he's he actually a huge skeptic. So he helped... Lend me a little bit of hept- he- uh, healthy skepticism for this one, right? right? So it's good. He's fighting the good fight. So, but I, I'm of the opinion that we are running out if we haven't started to already. Right, hit peak oil. Right, sure. Um, so we're going to run out, but we still need the stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the other problem is this: the the internal combustion engines that we currently have yeah. are not very efficient. No, they're not. We get uh, on the average, from what I understand, according to the EPA. About 15% of the potential energy found in, like, the gas or the diesel or whatever we put into an engine right. actually becomes usable energy or energy that makes your car go down the road or powers your air conditioner. Right. Right? The rest uh, of it's lost to all sorts of different things, heat, right. whatever. But one of, the, one of the ways that energy is lost is through unburnt uh, or, or incompletely burnt Hydrocarbons. Right. That comes right out of the old tailpipe. Yeah. And what happens, Chuckers? Well, I was talking to Emily about this last night, trying to break this down in my research. And um, 
basically the easiest way to say it is these uh, petroleum-based fuels um, burn less efficiently because they're more complex. Right. And that's really all there is to it. Right. Uh, things like ethanol, if you if you looked at the, uh, what is it called? Not the helix, but the little... The bond? Yeah, the bond. Sure. It's actually just, when you look at the two compared to each other, they're very much more simpler. Sure. So that that's really all there is to it. It burns cleaner because more of it gets burnt initially. There's none left over. Right. So we burn these these uh, these hydrocarbons, mm-hmm. and when we separate the bonds, it creates this uh, this reaction where we get energy. Right. Right. Uh, but if all the bonds aren't broken, then you have some that, like you said, come out the tailpipe. Right. And let's say you have a uh, carbon atom that interacts with the air and gets an oxygen molecule attached mm-hmm. to it. All of a sudden, you have carbon monoxide. Exactly. Which is bad. Uh, ozone. Same, o- ozone's another one. Right, which is not to be confused with the ozone in the stratosphere, the ozone layer. Right. It's actually a good thing. It, it is. You ozone closer to the ground, not it. good, yeah. No, and it actually is the same thing. It just depends on where it is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and then, of course, you uh, you also have um, carbon atoms attached to one another, make uh-huh. soot. So yep. there's, a, there's a lot of problems with uh, hydrocarbons the way we're using them right now. But there are solutions to this problem. Exciting solutions. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm aroused by these. Yeah, I was uh, talking the uh, same thing to Emily last night about this, that there are actually a lot of different ways that we could make fuel. Uh, it's just that the system we have in place has been there for so long. It's kind of, uh, with the politics and everything, it's just well entrenched. So all these new methods are, you know, it's kind of an efficient system because it's been in place for so long. Sure. And all the systems are in place. So starting up these new uh, methods is uh, kind of expensive. And time it's, consuming. It's extremely expensive, time consuming. Plus, you know, we've gotten, like you said, we've gotten really good at extracting oil from the ground. Yeah. For, even from the sea floor. Remember when we did the Who Owns the Oceans podcast? Uh-huh. We've gotten really good at getting oil out of the earth, right? Right. Because that's then the only way we know. Right. Because we've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, it's becoming painfully clear that we need to come up with another solution and fast, or else if we have hit peak oil already, we're, our global economy is going to come to a screeching halt, and then hopefully we'll have enough momentum to pick it up with minimal um, stoppage. Right. But probably not. We're probably going to be in big trouble because we, we I think we waited a little too long. Yeah. Hopefully not. I'm not much of an alarmist, really. Sure. But I, you don't, I don't think the world's going to end in, in 2012. I don't think so either. But, okay, so what's what's leading the pack, Chuck? Could it possibly be biohydrocarbons? Yes, Josh. And what are those? Well, you tell me, genius. <laughs> All right, jerk. I'll tell you what a biohydrocarbon is. It's uh, hydrocarbons derived um, from plant life. Right, converting plant sugars essentially. Yeah, which is not necessarily awesome. just sugars either. We'll get into that later. Oh, is this one of the many? Yeah. See, this is where I started to get confused. I, I know. Just... Let's just let's just put it out there, Chuck. Come on, lay it on everybody. Lay it on me. Well, I mean, like, the, the, there's the, Chuck was frustrated earlier because we were researching this, and he was like, "What is going on? Like, is it? Are we looking at ethanol? Are we looking at uh, camelina? Like, sure. What are we? What which catalyst works best?" And uh, we both figured out that what's going on is no one has this magic bullet yet, right, Chuck? Right. Which actually makes the whole thing that much more exciting. It's kind of like watching a horse race. Like, has the technology been developed yet? We just need to make it more efficient. Mm -hmm. Is there a plan out there we we haven't even heard of that's actually going to rescue the world? Well, maybe. A little hint for the... 
I know. I like that one. Uh-huh. The Patagonian one? Yeah, but there's research on all kinds of fronts, which is the which is the good part. So like you said, it's kind of a race to see who can do it the cheapest and most efficiently right. uh, and the quickest. There's uh, there's one that's already pretty well established. That's uh, cellulosic ethanol. And uh, Chris Paulette and I actually did a podcast uh, many, many moons ago on that. Uh, but I want to give a quick refresher. Okay. And also, um, I, I think biohydrocarbons is pretty much interchangeable with the word biofuels. From what we can tell. Right. Um, but with cellulosic ethanol, uh, all it is is uh, it's, it's ethanol, which you can use to power an engine, especially when it's been modified to be powered by ethanol. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just created by fermenting uh, extracted sugars from cellulose and lignin, which uh, provides structure and, and shape and form to cell walls right. of plants. Like the plant stands up thanks to that. Exactly. Uh, and basically what they do is they throw a bunch of this, and it's called um, biomass feedstock when it's used to make ethanol, right? Right. They throw it in this vat, throw some microbes in there. The microbes go to town, eat this stuff, make these byproducts, waste products, uh-huh. and then they're they're um, catalyzed with other enzymes, and they go through this process and process, and out the end comes the two final products, which are water and ethanol, right? Yes. And actually, th- there's a real advantage to this because we're already throwing away 430 million tons of plant waste every year. Yeah. Right? Like we're just throwing it away. Sawdust, wood chips, stalks, that kind of thing. Yeah, but stuff we just can't use. Or can we? We can if we make cellulosic ethanol out of it, right? right? Uh, it's just garbage before, but then, you know, once we're using it, like I said, it becomes biomass feedstock. Here's the problem. You, you were saying earlier that it's it's a very expensive process. It's, I said it's not very efficient. These are all extremely accurate. And the reason why is um, like those microbes I mentioned that right. are changing the cellulose into sugars to be fermented. Uh-huh. Those die after a very short period of time, right. and they have to be replaced. So that's an added cost, right? Indeed. Okay, indeed. Well, um, microbe replacement is actually, that's a very expensive process. Microbe replacement, it's a killer. It, it is. kills you every time. And plus also, remember I mentioned that the, the two end products are water and um, ethanol. Uh-huh. They mix together really easily. Which is good. No, it's not. No. No, because then you have to extract the ethanol from the water, which is costly and time-consuming. Right. So and it's an added sure. step, right? Yeah, what they're trying to do with some of these processes is limit these steps, right? which makes it obviously cheaper. Plus, also, even once you do extract the ethanol from the water and you are transporting ethanol, uh, say, to uh, your local gas station uh-huh. via pipeline, right. the way we do it with oil now, we, tra- we shoot it through pipes – uh, refined gas, we shoot it through pipes, uh-huh. and it's separated by columns of water. Right. So it'll be like gas, water, gas, water, gas, water. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with ethanol. Right. We have to come up with a, a completely new technology for it because it'll just mix with the water. Yep. And the stuff that comes out at the end would have to be extracted again, right? Right. So uh, there's a bunch of challenges to cellulosic ethanol. Really what it comes down to is it's just too expensive to replace oil right now. Yeah. Okay. So, again, what's the solution? Well, which one? Let's let's start rapping. Uh, what do you want to talk about, camelina? Or yeah, okay. Camelina is like the the wonder plant, right? Well, perhaps camelina is. Uh, if you want camelina, you should go to Montana. First or, of all, or Idaho. Oh, is that the other? Uh, or Oregon, big grower. Mm. But yeah, Montana seemed to kind of stand out above the rest as like the big potential producer for camelina, right? Right. One of the cool things about camelina is it can be grown in a rotation with uh, wheat crops. 
Yeah. We grow a lot of wheat. Right. Actually, um, it's been shown, and it's fallow. You use it on the fallow land, right? Right. To, and right now, they just let weeds grow uh-huh. in a huge tract of wheat cropland. Uh, but if they replace it with camelina, actually, when they plant wheat the next season, mm-hmm. it, it has about a 15% more increased yield than when they just used weeds the season before. You want to talk yields? Please. Camelina yields uh, roughly double what soy yields. Mm-hmm. And soy, you know, is the wonder plant everyone knows. Sure. And uh, the oil that Camelina produces is more cold resistant than your average biodiesel. And drought Feedstock. resistant. Drought resistant. Very much drought, drought resistant. Since it grows in marginal lands as well, it requires very little fertilizer or insecticide. Uh huh. So that's huge too. Well, it sounds like this is the answer. Wait, it gets even better, Chuck. More? What? Yeah. What? Um, it, it, to get the camelina oil that's used to produce uh, biohydrocarbon fuel, right? Uh-huh. Um, you actually have to crush the plant matter, and then you extract the oil. The stuff that's left over actually makes an excellent livestock feed. Oh, okay. There you so have you've got all that extra Didn't know that. income right there. Right. Yeah. Well, they've done some studies uh-huh. on the... Uh, Emissions from, uh, let's say, jet fuel made by uh, Camelina. Yeah. They call it green jet fuel. Sure. And there is an 84.4% savings compared to regular petroleum jet fuel. Oh, in greenhouse gas emissions, right? Yeah. That's huge. That's way huge. Uh, and if you're talking biodiesel, it exhibits savings of uh, 78.5%. Over regular diesel, over petroleum-based diesel. Right? Yes, sir. And even more, you said that they were doing tests with it, right? Uh-huh. They're actually conducting real flights with it. So of 50% jet fuel, like petroleum-based jet right. fuel, and 50% um, biojet fuel, green jet fuel. Oh, that's awesome. And so it's actually keeping the plane aloft, and I believe uh, Which is it's key. more energy efficient. Yeah, well, you ultimately, keep the plane yeah. Aloft. yeah. Nobody wants to use, you know, no matter how environmentally friendly a fuel is, right. everybody's going to hate it if a plane's crash sure. when, you, when you fill it up with it, right? Sure. And uh, we were talking about Montana. The state of Montana alone could support between two and three million acres of this stuff. Producing how many millions of barrels of oil? Well, 200 to 300 million gallons of oil a year. Here's the rub. That farmers uh, grow education. They don't know a lot about it at this point. They don't. But even if every farmer in Montana were producing the maximum amount of camelina oil every year, right? Mm-hmm. 300 million gallons? Uh, yeah. A year? Three to four, I think. See, the problem is, is here in the U.S., we use 21 million barrels right. of oil a day. Yeah. So even if uh, Montana produced the maximum yield of camelina oil... We use it up as a nation in just a few days. Yeah, a true. week tops. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So that's a huge problem with so it. much for that. Plus, also, camelina goes through a much similar process or a similar process to um, cellulosic ethanol. So right. you've got these extra expensive steps, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, clearly, we've got the we have the cleaner burning fuel part down, right? Because it's producing simpler biohydrocarbons, so they're burning more efficiently, right? And they're they're burning up completely, yeah. so there's fewer emissions, mm-hmm. except there's uh, carbon dioxide emissions still. Right. In a truly uh, perfect alternative fuel, the two waste products are going to be water uh-huh. and uh, carbon dioxide. Right. The problem is, is we're still emitting carbon dioxide. Right. Actually, hydrogen would be the way to go. Sure, but... <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> So How about that you just scoffed. So did you like that? Yeah. That was a pretty clear scoff, wasn't it? So um we still have this this hurdle 
And one of them is the making a fewer step process, which would be inherently less expensive, right? Right. Are you talking about the the mystery fungus? No. The, yes. Sure. Not a mystery fungus, but super fungus. Well, that's that's different. I mean, that's like just going to the source to find, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe some sort of fungus that produces diesel on its own without any steps. Shall we talk about that? Is there such a thing? I think so. Crazy. They have found this in uh, Patagonia. Is that right? In the rainforest? Yeah. And it is called, help me out here, Glyocladium roseum. I think that's probably pretty close, Chuck. Glyocladium roseum. Or G. roseum. Yeah, let's just call it that. Okay. Or G-Rose. Or just Droze. G-Rose. <laughs> yeah, let's call it G-Roseum. Okay. And uh, they've discovered this fungus kind of by accident, or not kind of accident, very much by accident. Sure. Which is the best part. Yeah, they were running around the Patagonian rainforest exposing uh, tree fungus to antibiotics to see what happens. Right. Bunch of hippies. Yeah. And what they found out was this uh, G-Roseum grew in the presence of these gases when everything else was dying away. So yeah. they kind of went... Hey, that what could is, be a good thing. What is this stuff? Exactly. And then they looked a little closer and what? Well, are you saying the best part is that uh, you can grow this in labs? Sure. That's one part. I think okay. the best part is the fact that this thing naturally excretes diesel. Oh, well, sure. Diesel fuel. There's yeah. a fungus out there that excretes what we would just call diesel fuel. Yeah. Which is nuts. That's well, you were going the obvious route. I thought. Talk about, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Talk about like cutting steps out. Yeah, big time. I mean, you just expose this uh, this stuff to antibiotics, right? Yeah, and it starts producing diesel directly from cellulose. Yeah, but from eating on a tree. Yeah, I know. Right, Isn't and like awesome? you said, it, it, they've already managed to to reproduce it in the lab, right? Right, and they call it mycodiesel. Yeah, and yeah, they can create the stuff in the lab. It's crazy. Which you know, this this is one of the the. Big exciting things about uh, G. roseum. Well, plus also G. roseum, as if it couldn't get any better, mm-hmm. produces potent antibiotics as a byproduct as well. I didn't think it's producing that. diesel and antibiotics. Well, so why don't we just uh, go this route? 100%. I, I think we should bow down to the G. roseum master, which will clearly dominate the human race within the next fifty years. Right, and this is only like six months ago that this they figured this stuff out. Yeah, it's so. like brand new. The dawning of a new age, maybe. Well, it was 12 months ago they found out, but it took them six months to get out of the forest. And they were running the whole time to tell everybody. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah, they kept falling down. Yeah. Yeah. So what I want to know, well, the good part is that they can uh, actually manufacture it, because that's what I was worried about was, cool, they found this thing, but it's in the rainforest. So then I thought, well, that just means they're going to start raping the rainforest. Yeah, I thought the same thing, too. And mm-hmm. I have to say I was Pleasantly happy to surprised. see that they synthesized it already. Or that's awesome. Figured out how to manipulate it. Go science. Exactly, precisely. Uh, also, there's a there's a, a movement afoot to cut out extra steps in the ethanol process, or you know, what converting camelina oil to usable um, diesel fuel. Right, uh, and that's using different kinds of catalysts. Um, there are these guys at MIT that are using um, metals like platinum and and copper, I believe. Right. To, to uh, catalyze these things, what, what happens is basically, from what I understand, and again, this is MIT, and I definitely did not attend MIT. You're a bunch of dummies. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I know. Um, it, it basically, you take this, uh, this, um, this cellulosic ethanol, say, right? Mm-hmm. And you run it over these catalysts that are uh, at, at very high heat. Right. So like you have ultra-heated platinum. And uh, what happens is, is when it goes over it, it actually converts the chemical composition of the ethanol. 
or not the ethanol, the the uh, the main ingredients used in ethanol, right? The cellulose, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and it, it converts it into biohydrocarbons right there. Yeah. There's no other steps. Actually, there are two steps, but they're actually very quick. And um, it's thousands of times faster, I understand, than microbial fermentation. Indeed. So you can produce this stuff constantly. And it can be recycled. Exactly. The The catalyst can be reused because you're not using microbes, you're using metal. Right. And platinum stands up to heat pretty well, right? Even better, the stuff that comes out on the other end, the usable fuel, uh-huh. it actually separates from the other byproducts. So it's just sitting there on top, making extraction easy. And the stuff that remains on bottom is actually highly usable in the manufacture of plastics, too. So it seems to me like we're getting closer and closer and closer. Yeah. The problem is, is I think um, we humans tend to rest on our laurels a sure. lot. Yeah, yeah. We know how to get oil out of the ground. I don't, I don't see any oil missing. What's the big problem? Until it all dries up. It's going to take someone of, of real prominence to come out and be like, you idiots, we're in big trouble. Right. For anybody to wise up and really start funding this stuff, yeah. But if if uh, some great thinker needs to come along and demand it, who? Maybe you. Thanks. <laughs> I demand that everyone start funding this stuff. Right, and they'd say, and you are as you're being handcuffed. That's fine. Sure, I've been handcuffed before. I don't doubt it. So that's biohydrocarbons. Is that it? Sure. Well, I'm very impressed, dude. I, you know, chemistry and math, this stuff kind of flies over my head. I did my well, best to hang in there. but You did great, Chuck. You did great. Thanks, Chuck. So, Chuck, uh, we don't have anything to plug. We're done with biohydrocarbons. That can only be one thing, my friend. Listener mail. Ring. Exactly. So, Josh, I'm just going to call this Italian listener mail. Okay. Because it comes from an Italian Can group. you maybe say it in an accent? Uh... Well, like I might, Ponzi throw, I might throw in a word or two in there. Okay. He, he doesn't say anything about the Ponzi. So this is from Stefan in Italy, and this is in regards to our propaganda podcast. Okay. Which was just recently released. Yeah. Uh, he wants to point out that, first of all, I'm Italian, so sorry for the bad English. Uh, his The Prime Minister of Italy, Silvio, Silvio Ber, Berlusconi, mm-hmm. he is uh, apparently quite the propagandist, mm-hmm. is what this uh, Stefan says. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, here we can only dream about propaganda being illegal. I want to argue, I don't want to argue through a reducio ad Hitlerum, <laughs> but the current situation in Italy is worse than Nazi Germany. That's wow. he says. I didn't realize that. Chuck, you're going to get the Italians after us. Well, maybe. Okay. You don't want the Italians after us. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, the knight is what they call him, evidently. And he With says, a K. Yes. The K and I, uh, GHT is what the Italian media calls the Prime Minister, and he owns all private free televisions and has uh, shares, and I think he means TV stations, Mm -hmm. and he has shares in the pay-per-viewings. So being the Prime Minister, he can influence the public TV channels. He illegally became the owner of nearly every publisher or newspaper in the country. Wow. And he sues everyone who allows himself to criticize him. Wow. A little Italian uh, influence there on the speak. Sure. Uh, he says there are plenty of cases of phone interceptions and or admissions that he influenced people and some news and or journalists are being ridiculously one-sided. You never hear anything bad about the government or the prime minister, and protesters and opposition are always displayed as fools. So basically it sounds like Italy is in some big trouble over there. Yeah. So he goes on for a while, but I'll just kind of skip down to the end. There are two free news sources and some radio stations that we have called Radical Radio. 
and the Internet. But they're working on some laws to ban blogs and already have some in place to censor certain sites. So I just wanted you to know that it's probably the best modern-day propaganda you will find. Stefan in Italy, and uh, Stefan, they're coming for you as we speak. Yeah, sorry, Stefan, but I think that uh, Chuck and I both say hats off to you for being the voice of, uh, oh, I don't know, reason over there in Italy. Sounds Chuck, like I feel like we're complicit in smuggling information out of Italy and then broadcasting it around the world. I didn't realize it's Italy was cool. like this. I've been to Italy, and I thought it was a pretty cool place. I didn't uh, get that sense. Did you also know, did you see that one uh, email from a listener in China who said that our uh, blog yeah. is outlawed there? Yeah, I like being banned. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. We're like right there with the Dalai Lama. Sure. Yeah. All right, well, if you want to compare Chuck and I to the Dalai Lama, um, let us know what's going on in your country or just to say hi. You can send an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. But don't get caught. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?